As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 1. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. 2. Deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. 3. You will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. We've got a weekend of the NLDS and the ALDS, two games on the American League side, one game on the National League side um, in our grasp right now. And uh, we're going to preview game two of the NLDS. That'll come at the very end. We're going to recap the weekend that was. Jack, Aram, Just Baseball Show, as always, presented by BetMGM here on Monday, October 9th. We're recording near the end of Astros Twins, where Pablo Lopez has made yet another postseason statement. But I was just telling you before I hit the record button, I was taking notes as the weekend went along. I had one note up the entire time, and I was like, okay, if there's something notable, I'm going to jot it down. So if you're cool with it, series by series, starting in the American League, I'm going to take you through kind of my stream of consciousness in game one and game two. Does that sound good? Sounds good to me. Uh, we got a lot of things to discuss, so I'm 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 happy to just kind of follow your uh, follow your lead here and and get into it. Before that, Saturday was awesome. I loved Saturday because it felt very first weekend of the NCAA tournament. It was you turn your TV on, first game starts at one, last game ends after midnight, and there was constantly baseball on, and there was a little bit of crossover where I had to go to the iPad with one that wasn't as intriguing, and then the other had like the TV had the main game. I love that, and I think baseball needs more of that. We really only get that on opening day and when we do get into the DS. Are there other opportunities to do it? I guess like holidays, right? Labor Day, you know, you can do Memorial Day, that kind of thing. And I, we sort of kind of get it. Fourth of July, we get it too. Yeah. Yeah. That Fourth of July is a very like 
underrated baseball day. It's a good baseball day. It's a good. It's just a good baseball day all around. But Saturday was pretty much everything you wanted because I think some of the games, like you look at the the broader scope, not all of them have been super tight, just the way it's kind of shaken out in the early yeah. going. But I thought Saturday gave us a lot of the best games, and you know, going from you know the the, the Rangers Orioles game, which was much closer, and Game One, obviously three two, that was a really fun one. You know, the first iteration of Astros Twins, like. Looked like it was going to be incredibly lopsided. Credit to the Twins. They fought back, which I'm excited to talk about that because I think that kind of led into the momentum of game two. Um, Honestly, Phillies Braves disappointed me a little bit, but it was just one of those games where, I I mean, we have not really seen the Braves offense stymied like that. And then uh, I'm I'm very excited to talk about the the West Coast game uh, uh, to, to wrap up there when we talk about the slate. But I felt like it was kind of the most competitive day of games we've had thus far. Is that not? You know, is that recency bias or no? No, I think that's like we've had that many days to work with, though. But we don't have very many days to work with. We had a whopping two before that, and those two days were disappointing. I guess I don't know. We had four wild card series going, so I don't want to say it was disappointing because we got great baseball, but all four were sweeps, and you know, it felt like one team was clearly better than the other, and we had a lot of teams fall very short of expectation. Toronto, Milwaukee, but. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. Like that was by far the best day. And I think that each of those game ones had a compelling storyline to accompany it. And we're going to start with Rangers Orioles. Before we jump into game one, there was a note that Joe Davis shared, I think, end of game one that I heard and I was like scratching my head. And I said, there's no way this can be true. He said, Bruce Bochy has won 12 of his last 13 postseason series. And I I heard that. It didn't register right away. I said, hmm. And then I sat with it for a minute. I said, oh, my God. This guy was World Series, no postseason. World Series, no postseason. World Series in 14. Then he goes to the postseason one more time. I think, I think he got to the CS, maybe the DS. He lost in the DS. But this is his first chance back in the postseason since then i that was just so hard for me to comprehend but it was also like the last one was nine years ago so i guess yeah. it's been a minute since he's there so we could forget how good of a postseason manager this guy is i mean i think we're seeing it now too i mean of course it's it's the players first and, and foremost and you know the the, the track record to this point was because he was leading the way for, you know, a team that was a borderline dynasty in San Francisco for a little bit there. But I, I thought the game one of the DS against the Orioles, it was kind of just that perfect example of the feel that, that Bochi has right. Yeah. Knowing exactly when to pull Heaney, he goes three and two thirds, gives up one earned run you know, with Dunning coming in after two innings, he gives up the one run, but you know, going to Will Smith, who, who tosses just one out, but gets an important out there. And then I, I thought it was just interesting where he was going to certain guys and, and how long he kept them in and the feel for it, the Chapman feel there too, because Chapman's got to be probably the hardest guy to have a feel for, gave him some rope and and he took care of it and, and pounded the strike zone and was, and was good. Or actually didn't pound the strike zone, but got out, I should say. I, I said that backwards. But again, the feel was there. The save ends up coming, you know, with LeClerc, which – I don't think that was maybe the plan initially. I just, that was where I saw a veteran manager just knowing where to put what pieces when, and that stood out to me in game one of a three, two victory. 
Yeah. And since jumping to Texas, what Chapman has been so much better in a setup role than he has been in a closer role. So I do like that they made the move to Leclerc for the ninth and they deployed Chapman a little bit earlier. But man, what my first note here, my very first note was incredibly pitcher friendly strike zone from Lance Barrett. And Kyle Bradish did use that to his advantage. I thought Bradish threw pretty well. He did. Uh, But, you know, Texas got to him. Spores and Chapman looked really shaky, yeah. but Chapman rolled that huge double play. Spores got bailed out by Cedric Mullins, who, by the way, is playing terribly right yeah, now. He's he 0 for 8 with three punch outs. He's 2 for his last 41, dating back to the regular season. And if Baltimore's going to go far, if they're going to fight back in this series, they need knocks from Cedric Mullins. That guy embodies X-Factor. You have all these young guys. You have Gunnar Henderson sending one to the moon, and apparently Zach Hampel had his astronaut boots on, and he was on the moon to catch that, which sucks. Which, which sucks. <laughs> totally yeah. sucks. But if if Baltimore wants to fight back in this series and win this series and go far, Cedric Mullins needed to do something, and Cedric Mullins, unfortunately, has done nothing so far. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- it's been shocking. It's this today's game. Um, you know, as we're recording this, 10 p.m. on Sunday. Yeah, the at bats just looked really uncomfortable, and I know that there was a lot of left on left. You know, in in this specific game, but he just didn't look comfortable there at all. He was like a guy that was really fighting himself. A couple a couple sword swings too. Like yeah. he's in his head, and I do have to wonder. I mean, you mentioned he's an X factor, so and he makes the big plays on defense, and he's really important. But it's tough to see him like this they already got him in the eight spot you're not gonna put him in the nine spot with how he's struggling i think the eight spots where you put the guy that is struggling the most for you right now in a lineup like that where you have adley in the leadoff who obviously packs a punch power wise so there's nowhere else you can really put him other than the bench and you know i don't think they're gonna do that because you're already playing aaron hicks it's not like they've got a litany of options it's not like colton cowser's there um that you know and and he he's not gonna be that much better right now even if he was and you know heston kerstad it's the same thing if he was there how much better is he gonna be you gotta ride the guy that's been there and done that and and been really successful through spurts but you know, it's just a really poorly timed slump, and you can tell he's in his head right now. Like you can just see it in the abs. You live by the three, you die by the three. You live by Cedric Mullins in your lineup and playing center field, and unfortunately, you got to die by it. And, and I, I think that the Dodgers experience that with Kershaw, they're going to live and die by Kate, by Clayton Kershaw. Dave Roberts already said that Kershaw is starting Game Four if this series does go to a Game Four because they need to live and die by it. More on Kershaw in a little bit. The other note from Game One for me was Evan Carter and young man, like the rookies are what's stirring the drink right now. And there were a bunch of other guys that stepped up in game two. I'm going to combine, combine the two right now. Cause it was an 11, eight win yesterday for Texas. Garver drove in five. Semyon commanded the leadoff spot. Adolis is Adolis. Leody Tavares had that two RBI knock, but Evan Carter and Josh Young are what they're making this thing go. And I did not think that that was going to be happening at all. I mean, dude, I had no idea where Evan Carter was going to fit into this thing. And and if you know, if you listen to the the call up, or even if you listen to our preseason top 100 episode uh, on the Just Baseball Show, we talked about how you know excited we were about Evan Carter and how high you know I was on him as a prospect. But this is just a different beast. What he's been able to do on the big stage has just blown my mind. If you told me going into this year, and I'm pretty sure we had him ranked higher than anybody going into the season, but yeah. if you told, asked me the question, do you think he can contribute at, at 
the big league level in the playoffs this year, I would have said no. Um, and, and a big part of why he's able to do that is he just knows himself so well. He doesn't stray from his approach. I have not seen a hitter this young. I mean, a guy that just turned 21 years old, just know the strike zone so well. I mean, he doesn't expand at all. He will foul off tough pitches and then he will make you come to him and he doesn't miss it when it's middle in. He doesn't miss it. And it's been amazing seeing him just allow the pitcher to come to him and not miss the opportunities that he gets. I think I was talking with Peter at the end of last week. The only other name that comes to mind there, young guy knows the strike zone this well in a big moment, was Xander Bogarts in 2013. Bogarts, he knew what he was doing. I felt like that guy had a perpetual full count that postseason. And that's Evan Carter right now. This guy reached in 10 of his first 11 postseason plate appearances. Right now, Evan Carter is 5 for 10 with four extra base hits and six walks. He's constantly a factor. And Josh Young, I got a text from my buddy Brendan Mortensen who works at Masson. He was out at Camden Yards at 10.30 a.m. for what, a 4.08 first pitch? 10.30 a.m. He sent me a video of Josh Young walking around in right center where his ball left. He was visualizing where his ball left in game one ahead of game two. When you've got weirdos like that as rookies in your lineup as mainstays, this offense is going to be elite. The other reason the offense was elite and we saw 11 runs is because Baltimore walked 11 and Grayson Rodriguez walked four in an inning in two thirds. Brian Baker walked three in a third of an inning. My G-Rod takeaway from game two personally was I I didn't think it was possible to see this guy pitch timid. I didn't think a hundred could look timid, but he did look like he was pitching a little timid. And, And I saw it from, the swinging bunt from Mitch Garver down the first baseline when he beat out that single and he just lobbed that ball over to first base and Tavares came in to score. As soon as I saw that in the second inning, I was like, this guy is like operating with minimal confidence right now. And I just wonder why is that? Because you have a hundred and one of the best changeups in the game and you have a legit four pitch mix that can make you an ace for the next decade. But postseason's a different beast. Hey, that's that's it right there. And and he's going to be great. You know, he, he yeah. was lights out in the second half of the season. But there's something about, I mean, that atmosphere, that crowd. And, and I know it's your home crowd, but it's a, it's a lot to handle. And then you stare down the barrel of what has been a, just an absolutely terrifying lineup that yeah. has no breaks in it. And I thought that that Marcus Semien at bat kind of set the tone, you know, spits on 100, uh, then fouls off 99 fouls off a, a pretty good slider and then pokes a single on a slider. And then now you got to deal with Corey Seager, who again, you, works at full and then a couple good takes works the walk, but then you see him fight through battle into some full counts and punch out Garver, punch out Garcia, and then finally get out of the jam. And I'm like, okay, m- maybe he's going to settle in here. I really did think he was going to settle in, yeah. but then again, these Rangers were not doing him any favors starting off the second inning. Another guy who takes pitches, Nathaniel Lowe, works the walk. Josh Young pokes a single. And then it seemed like the floodgates kind of opened from there. Because I think for him, he's used to getting chase on the changeup. He's used to getting chase on the slider. And then the fastball kind of gets on guys quicker. It's not the most incredible fastball shape. So it's not a big in-zone whiff kind of pitch. 
And I think when they started spinning on some of those good change-ups and some decent sliders and then got the barrel on a couple well-located pitches, that's where we started to see him nibble. And that's where we started to see things kind of fall apart a little bit. And I thought that that breaking point was 100% where you identified too. You walk Seager and then that kind of timid throw, as you said, to me, that was kind of the final nail where I'm like, okay, this might get ugly. And unfortunately it did. Uh, But you know, it's a rookie pitcher. And as we always talked about, and I think it's interesting, I know Montgomery wasn't perfect, but Montgomery ends up giving them a few more innings. Was their, you know, playoff or their their deadline acquisition. Yeah. And we talked about it. That's a lot of responsibility to put on your rookie starter who had ebbs and flows this season. Looks like he's going to be a star. But if you're trying to win the World Series, which you should be if you're winning 101 games in the regular season, I don't think you should expect that much out of your rookie pitcher in game two. Yeah, and and I think they were expecting even more because they were down 1-0 in that series, and they lost the Bradish start to the combination of Heaney and Dunning. Um, what do you make of Baltimore's approach on Corey Seager on Sunday? This guy was 0-1 for with five walks. He chased 2-0 elevated in his flyout at bat. And it was a full count. He was one miss away from going 0 for 0 with six walks. My takeaway there was like so simple. They're not going to let Corey Seager beat them. And the reason Texas is so ridiculously freaking good is because there are eight other guys that can beat you. And they did. That's the thing, man. Is that, I mean, it depends on the situation, but. Nobody on. You probably got to go after him at some point. You can't. You he can't be an automatic base runner every single time. Like yeah. he's been unbelievable this year. I think he's been arguably the scariest hitter in the game once he's on the field. But he's not Barry Bonds. You got to go after him, especially with with the way that this lineup is constructed. As you mentioned, a lot of different guys can get you too, and they'll get you with somebody on base, a la Mitch Garver Grand Slam. Like it's it's just going to be one of those things where I I don't know if you can just work around him and then be able to get away with it because like you said the lineup is too good we talk about protection this entire lineup is protection for him right now it's a tough spot to be but for me it's just you mentioned the losing game one to me that only puts more pressure on your rookie starter and what what probably felt like and was discussed as a must-win game for them five game set both games at home you, you gotta win game two I, it just again it's just such a ridiculous spot to put your rookie starter yeah and i love the I love the dichotomy of it where you have trade deadline acquisition, Jordan Montgomery, who's a big reason why the Rangers are here yeah. going off against the rookie who has to get the ball in game two, who you have a ton of responsibility on. And I just think that in itself is kind of a microcosm of why the Orioles may come up short. I know a lot of pitching deadline acquisitions didn't do great this year. I get it. I yeah. understand that but they could have got Jamon or they, they, they could have done some other things. Instead, I, I you're running out Flaherty down five in the fifth inning. Yeah. And, and that, that, that was, your, your, that was your deadline acquisition and you're yeah. is a middle reliever now. And that's, that's my thing. And, you know, we got some flack for that. And again, Jamon wasn't great. It was four innings of four run ball, but a big reason why this, this bullpen has been a little bit more rested. A big reason why they're here has been Jamon being their, their ace. So it's been fun to watch that side of it. You look at the the Orioles, yeah, the bullpen's great, but the bullpen ain't going to be great when it's got to take over in the in the second inning or the third inning. Game one was kind of the the example of how the Orioles can win games. 
you get four or five solid innings, then you kick it to the bullpen. But if you can't get that, it's going to be really hard to win games. And outside of Kyle Bradish right now, who else do you feel like is going to give you four or five quality? No one. So you can no, talk it's... about the bullpen, but the bullpen can't give you seven every time. No, especially without an automatic, you know, ninth inning with Bautista. Um, and like means not being on this roster really sucks. And I don't know, man, I would just, I'm putting the Orioles on life support. I don't think there's any other way that you can look at this series. It's a really tough one to stomach. Um, it was a great year for Baltimore. I don't want to eulogize them yet because I not hope yet. that they make this thing a series, but I, I put the odds at, at very, very slim right now. Um, I, going back to that point real quick, tried and true lefty in Jordan Montgomery, your prize deadline acquisition, not named Max Scherzer, first ballot Hall of Famer, against a rookie starter that was optioned after he had a seven and a half, came back, was great. But you've got postseason debut against one of the more reliable left-handers in the game over the last three years. It wasn't the 100-win best team in the American League that was starting the tried and true lefty. Yeah. Yeah. It feels backwards, but like, yeah. welcome to Texas Rangers baseball this year, where it just doesn't matter. They're going to put up 11, and their tried and true lefty can give up four and four, and they're still looking like they're headed to the ALCS. Well, and that's the thing with the O's, too, is if you get four and four, four innings of four-run ball, they're going to win a lot of ball games. Yes. They, they could win this one. Because a big problem with the two is you got to go to Brian Baker and in, in what the second or third inning. They went to Colom in the second. Danny yeah. Colom in the second inning. And then Baker comes in, walks three, and then Webb's got to try to clean it up, gives up a couple runs, and then Flaherty has to come in and try to bridge. He gives up a run. It just it it really just compounds the issue. But I want to say to your point on on the Rangers side, you got to feel pretty comfortable with the pitching situation relative to how we felt in the past because the bullpen seems to be finally kicking back into gear. And it's been probably the most volatile bullpen in Major League Baseball since opening day. Yeah. And I think that's putting it lightly, but they've held it down. It's been good enough. And this is against an Orioles team that you can talk about the struggles that through the first two games, but they're not rolling over offensively. I know yeah. it was only a couple runs in game one, but a lot of pretty good at bats. And then 14 hits that only turns into eight runs in game two here. And I thought a lot of the at-bats were really strong. I thought the offense was really good. I thought Gunnar Henderson looks like a superstar, man. Gunnar looks great. But the Rangers, this is how they can do it. They're going to match any offense. And if they can just have decent outings from their starter and decent bullpen performance, they can take that pretty far. Does that win you World Series? I don't know. But that gets you past an 101-win team that's a little bit inexperienced and a little pitching deficient. And – this could take them all the way to the World Series. Yep. Uh, other ALDS matchup is Houston and Minnesota in Houston. Game two is going on right now. We're going to talk game two after game one. Uh, game two is a 6-4 Houston win. Before we get into this trivia, there are five guys with multiple homers in the postseason so far. Can you name them? Royce Lewis, uh, Jordan Alvarez. Did Mitch Garver hit two? Nope. No. Um, same team, all three, same team, all three are on the same team. Yep. Altuve. Nope. Wait, just tell me I'm like too slow. It's 10 o'clock on a Sunday. Corbin Carroll, Gabby Moreno, oh, Alec Thomas. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I thought you meant of the same team of teams I already mentioned. No, no, no. That's insane. 
That's nuts. Like that that's so ridiculous. Carol, okay, I get it. Moreno and Thomas being in that conversation, we'll save that for the for the Diamondbacks Dodgers at the end of the episode. But like yeah. that blew my mind. But you've I got two to... of those guys in this series in Lewis and Yordan. I can't wait to rave about about Gabriel Moreno. But dude, I mean, Lewis and Yordan, it's it's must see TV right now. And, and it is. Lewis and is continuing to swing it. And Correa's revenge is pretty fun in game two. But starting with game one, it was a six four Houston win. Um, early kind of forfeited chances from the twins was the early storyline for me. It was what first three innings, right? Two double plays get Verlander out of the first and the second, and then a base running blunder from Julianne got him out of the third twins were like shooting themselves in the foot. I love the fight from Polanco mm-hmm. and Royce Lewis with the homers in the seventh inning, but Jordan Alvarez being inevitable. It was like so fun to see, even though I really liked, this twins team i do think that houston is a fun version of the big bad beast of the postseason as of late and Jordan being that guy is so much fun the fact that the last time we saw him on this stage he delivered the most crushing blow 450 dead center to win the freaking world series and now he turns around and has a multi-homer game in his first postseason game back this guy's terrifying in the best way who else do you want on the big stage big big spot you need a big hit right now in the postseason of all the teams who do you want over Jordan Alvarez Mm, Harper I'm taking Jordan really it's not a wrong answer I I mean Harper's also a first ballot hall of famer (laughs) I wouldn't say also because Jordan's still got some some work to do but in terms of just no, Your he's take. better than David Ortiz. What's the what's the idea? He's the same as David Ortiz, or he's better? Uh, I don't even remember how we got into that one. Uh, that was that was a, that was a Colby Olsenism. Um, but yeah, I, I've seen some people start to float. That I see the similarities, but yeah. again, you got a lot of work to do to get there. He's talented, maybe more talented, uh, and it's been really cool to see that. But I, I think in a big spot, I'm taking him over just about anybody. I'll say it's so cool to see you talk about the likability of, of the Astros team, well, relative to others. I've always loved Kyle Tucker, but it's cool to see Michael Brantley healthy. Yep. Just, just a good guy, <laughs> uh, a guy who's had a really good career. And if it weren't for injuries, could be a borderline Cooperstown candidate. But of course, he's lost several seasons uh, and then you just kind of lost a lot of production over the years. But it's just nice to see him contributing and, and involved and, and part of this. But just kind of going back to the game conversation, the fight back was encouraging. And I do think they carried that momentum into, into game two. Because they always knew like game one was going to be a scheduled disadvantage. Even Justin Verlander, not in his prime, he still was throwing the ball pretty well down the stretch. He's still another first ballot Hall of Famer. And opposite of Bailey Ober, who I'm, I would assume it was his postseason debut. I'm not positive. It was his postseason yeah, debut. You got Bailey Ober, who threw really well down the stretch. But it's, it's his postseason debut. We just talked about how it's a different beast. Ober opposite Justin Verlander. You just got out of the wild card. You know that the odds are kind of stacked against you there. But game two, you ride that momentum. You know you've got Pablo Lopez on the bump. And I'm sorry, like, generally, Framber versus Pablo is, okay, yeah, Astros feel great, advantage Astros. But right now, I'm sure the Twins went into this game, especially after how Pablo threw first game, the first game of the playoffs, and said, we got the edge here. Yeah. And a lot of their guys have swung it well off of Framber. I'm sure they went into this game feeling like this was the one they're supposed to win. And it was cool to just see them do that and ride that momentum in. And this is going to be the best series, I think, 
Like, I think this is going to be the most contentious and the closest. And anybody who is a baseball fan that like follows it closely, I think is going to be amped about this series. Casual sports fans that look at the logos probably don't care about this one. If you somehow hear me right now, watch this one. Because this yeah. is going to be, I think, some of the best fireworks of all of the division series that we're talking about here. And maybe all the series in the postseason. Like, this is going to be back and forth. And I think it's going five without a doubt. And they're going to Minnesota. And Minnesota is an exceptional playoff environment. We saw that in the wild card series for day games. Just wait till they get some night games, man. That dark target field is going to be excellent. But they jumped on Fromber. Four and a third, seven hits, five earned. He walked three. Framber Valdez looks incredibly human after that no-hitter. And even before the no-hitter, it was finicky. But this guy was so touch and go. Like, it was red light, green light, like six earned, then no earned, then six earned, then one earned, then five earned. It was so back and forth, and you never knew which Framber Valdez you were going to get for the final month and a half, two months of the season. And tonight, unfortunately, we got the guy that didn't look supremely confident. When Fromber is supremely confident, there are few in baseball that can elevate the ball against him. But tonight, Kyle Farmer did. <laughs> so, like, that was the Fromber we got. It's, it's it's wild to see because as recent as last postseason, I don't know if there's a pitcher I'd take over Framber Valdez. Just because of what you said. Gets ground balls. He's just never going to blow up. He's never going to have these bad outings that you feel like you're – even when it's not when he's not there stuff wise, he's still gonna back his way into five, six innings of a couple runs. It's just not the case. We talked about it with Pitching Ninja, and he was saying that, you know, he feels like it's probably something that he's not gonna be able to get to the bottom of until the offseason and really try to figure out the release issues, figure out what's going on with his delivery. But it's just wild to me that, you know, it's been this long for him and this long of a slump. So this was part of the concern for me with the Astros is are they going to get this version of, of, of Framber that they've been getting over the last couple months, which is, you know, not only is it not a guy that, that you can really just lean on in any big spot, it's really not a guy that you can trust in the postseason period. And then opposite of that, Pablo Lopez, man, we, we continue to try to figure out where to peg this guy because for, for a while it was, you know, clear cut mid rotation starter. Then he started to show flashes with the Marlins of like, Oh, this guy's got some number two in him through stretches, but then he'd, he'd flame out at the end of the year, would always have some shoulder issues. Then this year, emerges throwing harder. Twins get him thrown a little bit more of this breaking ball. They, you know, he was never much of a of a supernator. He's always been a pronator, fastball changeup guy. Now he's starting to spin it. And he's also sees this uptick in velocity. And now to me, man, like, especially with what he's doing in the postseason, can you not call this man an ace? No, I think you should call him an ace, especially with what he's done over the last two starts. And he's facing Yiner Diaz right now. He's trying to get through seven scoreless innings. He's punched out seven and walked one. He's scattered six hits. He just got him. Second pitch of the AB to Diaz, pitch 105 of the night. He gets Diaz to fly out to Michael A. Taylor. So he's through seven shutout innings in Houston against the big, bad Houston Astros. He's incredible. And... I love that they were talking about how he was built like a horse. Like I think AJ Pruszynski took a moment out of dead air on the broadcast and said, look at this guy's legs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the photo of him shirtless after they won the wild card series? The dude is jacked. He takes exceptional care of his body. We know he's supremely smart. You could have gone to med school oh, yeah. if you wanted. This guy has mastered who he can become. 
And at this age, with the control he has, you know, the narrative around this trade for a rise keeps flip-flopping. Let's just call it what it is, an incredibly even trade. And that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I wish uh, I wish the Marlins could have somehow, you know, snaked uh, Trevor Rogers or somebody else going over there instead of Lopez. <laughs> but there's a reason why the Twins wanted Lopez. Right? The yeah. Twins knew you know, that he has something special here. And I think the biggest thing for me is seeing the uptick in 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 zone whiff on the fastball. Not yeah. only did he gain you know a, a full tick in velocity, he also gained an inch of, of vertical movement. And in, and I think that carry has really helped him big time too. And it's just amazing. You got the fastball riding at the top. The changeup's always been incredible, but he would throw it 35% of the time. So it, there was now a, down to what, 20? It's it's around 20% because he mixes in this, this sweeper and then also the taste breaking curveball. And I think that's just been so huge for him because now you got to respect that. You can't just play the 50 50 game and shut down anything below the knees and sit fastball. You know, it, like that, you just can't do that with him. So he's just continued to get better. And I love the point that you bring up about. How, how much he's taking care of his body. This is a dude that had recurring shoulder and arm flare-ups. Nothing bad, thank goodness, but it was recurring. And he's like, okay, how do I prevent this? Just work my ass off and get, get into shredded. the best shape humanly possible. Look like that's Ronaldo. that's exactly what he's done. I love it. It's so cool. Um, other notes that I had from this series, one Verlander and one Astros bullpen note. Verlander going six shutout was huge for the Fantastic. Houston Astros. Yeah, it was great, but also like, you just saw Fromber struggle. You go to Minnesota, that's Sonny Gray and Christian Javier. I know who has the pitching advantage there. Yeah. It's the bad man in Minnesota who starts at home. With Verlander being able to kind of shake off the rough starts from last postseason and the 2019 postseason when he last threw in the postseason, this guy, I, I think it's like a three and a half ERA across 200 ish postseason innings, but. That, I think, was front-loaded. He has struggled. It's been very touch-and-go over the course of the last couple postseason trips. So for him to get this one started off like this, I thought was huge. And Abreu and Presley for the 8th and ninth is as automatic as you're going to find in baseball. Brian Abreu is one of my favorite relievers because he is 99. He snaps off this crazy slider, and it's good night. And then Presley is the spin king. You need a fourth out from Abreu? Sure. Turn to him with two outs in the seventh. He's going to get you through it. Inning in a third, three punch outs. Presley went one, two, three in the ninth with two punch outs. Yeah. That trio is disgusting in the best way. And it's cool to see Presley kind of settling back in. He had some some ebbs and flows towards the end. And I mean, yeah, when that bullpen's clicking, that's going to shorten the games a little bit. And that's why you feel good because Verlander – He's a dude that's going to give you five or six. Even when he's not on, you feel like you can you can still get five, six, two, three runs, and, and you'll be in a good spot with your offense and with what the bullpen can do. Uh, they're they're looking. Be- I think they go as far as Verlander takes them, especially because they're going to try try to piece it together. Otherwise, Javier, it's kind of similar to the conversation we we're having before. If you can get four four on four or five on four. You probably take that. The problem is, as you mentioned, Sonny Gray, he can outduel that real well and turn that into six on two. And then all of a sudden you're trying to battle back against the bullpen. The twins don't have as good of a bullpen in the in the sixth, seventh, eighth, but then you got to deal with Juan Duran. So it'll be a fun chess match over the next few games. And I think this is where 
this is where the Astros can make up the ground. I know Peter does not like Rocco Baldelli, but yeah. I think this is where no matter how you feel about Rocco, Dusty Baker's Dusty Baker, right? He right. just won it. He knows this team like the back of his hand, whether you agree with all the moves that he's made or not. And that's where I could see you know, the manager advantage kick in a little bit when some of the pitchers kind of get burned early and it's just a chess match there. Uh, before I forget, though, I know I'm sure you have something on that. I want to make sure before we move on to the next series to talk about Carlos Correa because oh, yeah. the whole thing is awesome. But yeah, anyway, that point just concluded. No, I mean, yes or no question, is Yohan Duran the best reliever in baseball? Yeah, I mean, I've every hitter I've talked to, whether they faced him or not, like even talking to some minor league guys, they're like, that's one dude I just, like, I don't even know what I would do up there. No. It's, it's the almost, I think the big league hitters or minor leaguers facing Yohan Duran is the closest thing to us facing any major leaguer where it's just like you're swinging and praying. Like there's guys I think that would admit to like fully swinging and praying up there. And yeah. just, like there's no approach. You're just hoping that you run into one. And like so, that would be me if I went up there and tried to hit anything from anybody. Right. So that's the thing. Like class A was, I think the example, or he was the guy before Duran, like everybody looked at class A and it's like, how can you do anything against it? Yes. It's one Oh two. It's, it's a cutter and a slider. So it's moving the same way. So you can say, okay, I'm going to get this profile. One of them is going to be 102. One of them is going to be 92. With Duran, it's 100 that's diving on you, or it's 90 that's sliding away from you. And by the way, he's six five and jacked. Yeah. And it he's comes the best reliever. Way up here. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's nuts. It's you talk about outlier pitches. Everything about Duran is outlier. So it's just, it's just a total outlier pitcher. And, there's, you can't do shit about that. It's insane. It, it is video game creative player type shit. Carlos Correa revenge series is awesome. Two run single, uh, what in the middle innings? I, I mean, this guy, three he's going to rise to the moment. He's three for three. He's always going to rise to the moment. He is one of the greatest postseason hitters of all time already. I see what he's like fourth or fifth fourth. on the all time RBI list in the postseason. And that was before he drove in two more. I mean, come on. I, Bernie Williams is number one on that list, by the way, I think. He was there every year. Like, is <laughs> He also was clutch as hell. So, like, yeah. that makes sense. But that is a funny one. But, I mean, it's just wildy. Like I mentioned going into this postseason, assuming that his legs hold up and he stays healthy, he's 29. He right. should have the record by so much, it's going to be crazy. Especially if Minnesota doesn't go anywhere. It's like it's like LeBron. Doesn't LeBron have the all-star scoring record by a billion? I think so. I think I he's think, got it. Which like, also, of course, he, he's probably the only guy that cares about that. But also, right. he's been there every single year. But what he's you done... He started betting football, by the way. Oh, I've seen those. Those are so funny. LeBron is the most unintentionally hilarious person <laughs> out there, and it's not really close. But I, I hope he keeps giving out those. Those are so funny. I'm just going to start fading those. But Hilarious. Six hits for Correa in two games here against the Astros in Houston. Yeah. So unfazed by being back there, it actually fed him. It actually helped him. Uh, he's reached base almost every single time because he also walked in this in this last game. So it's just absolutely wild. Did I say six? It was five hits. Five yeah. hits, six times reaching base. But it's just absolutely incredible. And not to mention that he also hit really well in the Toronto series. I, I imagine that this is probably as good of a stretch these – four games as he's had all season long, which is wild because a big reason why he struggled has been the health. But this shows you to your point, how much he rises to the occasion, because I'd venture to say that this is the best four game stretch 
of the last 150 games he played, yep. which is absurd at the end of the year when you've been battling injury issues all year and literally just ripped your plantar fasciitis in like in half. Like your plantar fascia was just ripped in half. And they're like, oh yeah, that should give him some relief. Like, yeah, maybe, but it probably hurts like a bitch for a while. Like it's 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 just mind over matter for him right now. And I, I Peter sent a text in the group chat that that uh Correa is like Jimmy Butler. And I love that comp. Like he really is like Jimmy Butler uh when it comes to like he's the baseball version of it. Yeah, you just level up. I guess a Rosarena, but I Jimmy's yeah. good. Jimmy's really good in the regular season. Like he is a perennial all-star. Yeah. Randy isn't a perennial all-star yet. Correa is. Correa yes. is platinum glover, has led the league in war, that kind of guy. And I but think then that's he turns into an MVP in the postseason. Exactly. I think like, that's a great comp. Yeah. Yeah. So I dude, I appreciate you giving Correa his flowers because this guy, I think has spent a lot of time getting shit on in his career and and wore it well. I mean, especially in Minnesota, like he's no excuses. He's worn it and he's, he's been a leader on this team. He's, I mean, ask Royce Lewis, how much Carlos Correa means to him and, and look at what Royce Lewis is doing. I think a big part of the confidence that Royce Lewis has, has to be what Correa has instilled in him too. Yeah. I think 2021 was probably the first year that we saw this new Carlos Correa and it's not as extreme as the Manny Machado arc, but it's very similar to the Manny Machado arc, where it was the kid that couldn't stop talking. And Correa, after the 2017 thing happened, he was the one that everybody pointed at and was like, you're the worst. Yeah. And he's been able to fight that yeah. and not be the shithead anymore. And he's been very, very fun and honestly, very easy to root for in Minnesota. Yeah. Nationally going to be quicker. We've got one game and we'll do a little bit of a preview for game two, which comes tonight. Philly and Atlanta, a 3-0 Phillies win over the Braves. The Braves were shut out at Truist Park for the first time since August 28th, 2021. They were not shut out at home in any of their 81 games last year. They were not shut out at home in any of their 81 games this year. And it took the big, bad Philadelphia Phillies to come in and do it. Thanks to Ranger Suarez, who went three and two thirds of one hit ball. They ran out seven pitchers. I have three guys that I just have. Orion Kirkering, dot, 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 dude. Bryce Harper, dot, 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 dude. Trey Turner, dot, 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 dude. So those are kind of my notes. Um, Turner, obviously, it's defensively. He's leveled up in the postseason already. He's just a gamer now. I, I think we saw it in the World Baseball Classic, and I don't think anybody really labeled him as mega clutch and one of the postseason performers at no. any point. But the, the World Baseball Classic kind of introduced us to that. And that diving play at the end of the game in game one kind of reminded me of who I thought he was leaving the World Baseball Classic. And that's yeah. just a flat out gamer. It's funny because he he comes with you know historical struggles in, in the postseason and you know despite what Carl Ravage said he's actually played in a lot of postseason games and he hasn't been very good in that. <laughs> he's got um, a World and, Series ring by the way. Yeah, he, he does. Won it Nineteen. <laughs> he does. He does. And but he hasn't been the best performer in the world in, in the playoffs. And I do think that that WBC just kind of unlocks something for him confidence wise on the big stage. And maybe I'd love to ask him like did did that almost make you feel like you can just zoom out a little bit and just keep playing ball the way that you did before. And, and no matter how big the stage is, you can perform. Cause I do wonder if the postseason stuff starts to get in your head, but then you represent USA, you perform and you're like, okay, I can perform in any spot. 
the pressure isn't too much for me. Uh, but I think he's turned into that guy. And it, it's just been steady since then of being able to perform on the big stage, perform in the big games. And he's also riding just a really nice streak in the second half. I'm floored that the Phillies were able to shut this, this Braves lineup down. Uh, one, because it's the best offense, you know, we've seen arguably in the modern era, but yeah. two, because to your point, if it was a Zach Wheeler start where he goes seven and they toss it to Sir Anthony Dominguez and Alvarado or Kimbrough or whatever, I could say, okay, that's one of those games where it just goes really quick. And all of a sudden you're like, oh crap, we got shut out. It's the eighth or ninth inning. Yeah. But when it's Suarez, like you mentioned for three and two thirds, then Hoffman gets an out, then Sir Anthony Dominguez, then Alvarado, then Orion Kirkering, then Matt Strom, then Craig Kimbrell. You would have thought they'd get one run in there and they didn't. It was remarkable what the the Phillies pitching staff was able to do here. And this is huge because this is one where you're, it's a schedule disadvantage. Strider yes. on the other side, he dealt. Strider was awesome. But they pick up the win here. It's advantage It's advantage Phillies now because I think the pitching matchups kind of work in their, in their favor a little bit moving forward. It is the lone positive, I have to say. By the way, Kyle Wright looks like what? Shoulder surgery. Yeah, it sucks. really sucks. Really just... feel for him because he's not such a nice story. Just being able to get, you know, shut, fight off the struggles, get right. But yeah, capsule tears and they don't know how bad it is till they go in there. That's what yeah. they told me with my shoulder. They said, torn labrum, but we're not going to know how bad it is till we go in there. Wow. If it's not too bad, you'll wake up with a sling. If it's really bad, you'll wake up with your arm attached to your stomach. And I was like, oh, I'm totally waking up with my arm attached to my stomach. And then sure enough, I woke up with my arm attached to my stomach. But it's that shows you how hard it is with shoulders. Yeah, You don't really know until you get in there. Like, they're complicated. So hoping for the best with Kyle Wright. I hope when they go in there, it's not as bad as they think. And he can yeah. get back soon because he was just you could just see he wasn't right trying to throw through it and trying to trying to get back and help this team. Yeah, no. And so you got no right. Morton is hurt. Freed says he's fully recovered from a blister issue. I don't know what that means. Blisters are so tough and they're so naggy. This was the scheduled advantage, like you're saying. The only positive I have from Atlanta in this game is actually a pretty big positive. I love that Snit kept Strider in for seven innings. That was best case scenario because you save the bullpen pretty much entirely. Yeah. And you're going to need him game three. You might need him back half a game two, depending on Freed's health. But game three, is it elder? Like, how are we going about this thing? I, and it's in Philly. I'm fascinated to see how that one goes. And, They're going to spell blood. You know, anytime yeah. a pitcher gets, if you're struggling out there, it's isolating in right. that crowd. It is tough. And that's going to, yeah, I agree. They need to have the A team available in that one. And, but at the same time, you're going to have to go to every best reliever in game two because you can't lose game two. Yeah. So it, this is where Snit's got a really game plan. And you know what makes the job the easiest on a manager? Two things. Offense goes nuts mm -hmm. or your starter can get stretched out and give you five or six. They need one of those. I think the former is more likely. I think it's more likely the offense goes crazy. Then they get a, a longer quality start. But we'll see what they get from free. But Freed does rise to the occasion. That's my thing. Flipping back to the other side, I thought the MVP on the mound, aside from Suarez, I thought Suarez gave them a great start, exactly what they needed. The MVP on the mound was Orion Kirkring. This guy is yeah. the stuff of legends. He was a Clearwater Thresher in April. What are we doing? He's 97 to 99. That sweeper is disgusting. We it's didn't see 99. It's an 80 sweeper, by the way. I've, I've, I've talked to some people, like evaluators too, that say that that was an 80. 
it is disgusting. It's so vomit-inducing foul. I don't think anyone's going to hit that for the next several years. He's amazing. Guess who just homered? Who? Jordan Alvarez. Jordan. (laughs) 6-2, bottom eight. But yeah, yeah, I mean, Kirkering, being able to add that guy to the fold now too is is huge. And he just doesn't seem very faced by the big moment. It's 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 amazing, and even when he falls behind, he's got the pitches that can just get him get him out of any situation. It's yeah. been pretty awesome. I tweeted out, um, you know, we we try to get cute and name all these X factors, and it's like, yeah, I think Stott's going to be great for them. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Sir Anthony Dominguez is going to get huge outs, and then Bryce Harper hits a ball 115 miles an hour, and it clears in the blink of an eye. Sometimes we have to not think about this and just do, do like the Chad innings eater thing. And Bryce Harper is just a fucking star and he's a star that 115, it left his bat. It got out so quickly. And before I could even like process what happened, I was like, wow. Yeah. Bryce Harper, he's generational and he's it's always been pick, generational always since he was 15 years old, but man, Last postseason, if he looks like 70% of what he was in the 2022 postseason, this is going to be stuff of legends that I'm telling my grandkids about. Yeah. Especially if you can get that ring. Yeah. That's the thing. He needs the ring. And I know you know he wants it. Yeah. And he plays winning baseball. It's just a winning. He has changed so much to the winning brand of baseball. And what's fascinating about the Phillies is if they get Hoskins back too, for the World Series, maybe I saw some clips of him running around a little maybe bit. He didn't 20s. look great. Yeah, no, but, but it's 2016 swing. Schwarber. Is it not 2016 Schwarber? It would be electric. That's I would exactly what's happening. That. So we'll see. But Harper, man, like it, there is, there are a few players I'm more excited to see on the big stage than Bryce Harper because of just the fear that he commands, that the the spotlight. Everybody stops what they're doing. You lock in on this guy and you watch that at bat. And even when he fouls balls off, my heart skips a beat. Like it's, yeah. there's something that is just a different level of captivating yeah. with, with Bryce Harper that just makes me not want to miss a game. and makes me not want to miss an at bat. And I know is infectious to that entire team that is filled with some young guys in that lineup. Harper sets the tone in a lot of ways and Harper's going to take them as, as far as they need to go to your point about the X factor. And that double play from Turner there was a huge fist pump from Harper at first that jumped out to me. Cause it's like, you want this guy bad. cares so much. He wants it so bad. It's the last thing missing that. really. It's really the last, that's it. That's really, I think at this point for him, you know, he's going to compile his numbers. Yeah, He's going to hit until he's, this is going to hit until he's 40. I, I don't have many reservations about that. Yeah. Needs the ring. Game two Wheeler and freed tonight who wins and why. I want to say the Braves just because they got to find a way. They've seen a lot of Wheeler, but they haven't seen playoff Wheeler as much. And playoff Wheeler, when they did see him, is, is just a different beast. I have no clue. I'm going to say Braves just because. But I said Braves every single time last year until until the Phillies took over. And, I mean, going back to the middle of the season when I said the Phillies are the biggest threat for the Braves, I even felt like I was going to renege on that going into the postseason just because the Braves are such a force, but the pitching is as vulnerable as it's been. It's really depends on Freed. And I don't know what Freed looks like because we haven't seen much Freed. So yeah. I, I imagine if he's going, 
he's going to be ready ready to to shove and give them a good start but if he doesn't have it it's going to be tough yeah i go phillies for the vibes and i have no other reason yeah i I got i got no prediction on this one but I'll, i'll say low scoring I think the Phillies might blitz them, but I'll take the Braves just because I, I I think they're going to be fighting for their lives here. Yeah. Um, wrapping with Arizona and the Dodgers. Game one went to the Diamondbacks in stunning fashion. 11-2, that win uh, over the Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw got one out, six hits, six earned runs, a walk, no Ks. Yeah. I want to walk you through the bad balls. Kershaw saw eight hitters. He walked Alec Thomas. That means there were seven batted balls against him. And remember, the threshold for a hard-hit baseball is 95-plus. Ketel Marte, 115.7 on a double. Carroll, 109.6 on the single. Pham, 99.4 on the single. Walker, 105.7 on the double. Moreno, 110.8 on the homer. Guriel, 96.7 on the ground out. Longoria 98.8 on the double seven batted balls. Three were under hundred miles an hour. Two were over 110, and one was 109.6. He got murdered batting practice, it, but like easier than that. It's tough to see. Right. It's all I can say is it's tough to see. I hope he gets one more and you know, looks good in that one because I think it's fair to say this is the end of the line. We, we know about the back issues. He's had a shoulder issue all year. He's fighting to just even throw 90, 91. But we've seen him succeed with 90, 91. Just the location wasn't there. And people were all over it. These guys were all over it. And I think it just wasn't the same level of, of sharpness to his breaking ball, which at that point, it's hard. <laughs> Especially when there's, you don't have the sharpness to the slider, you don't have the sharpness to the curve guys start sitting fastball and start crushing it and and you have easier takes on the breaking balls that's what i saw i just saw a lot of comfortable takes and that's a scary thing when your fastball is diminished at this stage but you got to give credit to these guys on this diamondbacks team it's it's amazing the 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 one-two punch what did we get right out of the gate could tell marte and then corbin carroll you got it's first and third almost immediately Fam has been a lefty killer. That was such an underrated acquisition. The one thing they really needed was the ability to hit lefties. They go get that. Fam, this is exactly where they need him to thrive. And then Gabriel Moreno just continuing to do what he has done over the course of the entire second half. He has not only played like one of the best rookies in baseball, he's played like one of the best catchers in baseball because it's not just about you know what he has done offensively. He has been the best at limiting the run game in the entire sport. And beyond that, you'll get their record with him versus without him. It's night and day. They're like 10 games under when he, in games that he doesn't play. They're like 10 games over in games that he does play. And I, sometimes I think that's a correlation versus causation thing. But when you have a two-way catcher like Moreno and the guy that grinds out at bats the way he does, I do think that there's a, a large amount of causation there. And this is a player that is, here's a real X factor in the ways that he can impact the game. It has been spectacular to watch Gabriel Moreno blossom. And people always kept asking me, oh, he doesn't hit that many home runs. Why do you give him an above average power grade? I'm like, the the EVs are there. He has the ability. The bat speed's crazy. We're seeing it. He launched one 111, and it was a no-doubter from Moreno. He's got juice, man. 
and he's going to be a really special player for a long time. I want to find staff ERA when they're throwing to Gabby Moreno. I know it's on baseball reference. I'm blanking on where exactly it is I on baseball reference. I can find that. Yeah, I think the staff ERA for the Diamondbacks is like a run and a half better when Moreno's behind the plate versus when he isn't. He is – that is intangibles 101. That was why Contreras got benched because the, the <laughs> Cardinals pitching staff like thrown to Kisner more. Yeah. Moreno is Kisner, but he can hit. Yeah. And He's elevating, and, and that is what everybody's been waiting for. And you promised that power was going to come through when you were putting this guy in the top 10 in your top 100 lists, and now it's here, and it's here for the world to see. So Moreno immediately gets vaulted into the top 10 catchers in baseball going into the next year, I think. That's how the postseason works. That's how the NCAA tournament works. Malachi Richardson was a lottery pick. He shouldn't have been. He was a lottery crazy pick. Pull. Jeremy Malachi P- Richardson's a crazy pull. But like Mitch McGarry was a first round pick too. Why was Mitch McGarry a first round pick? It, it, that kind of thing. But I, like Jeremy Pena was a top 10 shortstop in baseball coming into this year because he had the postseason he did. It's a recency bias thing and it is a platform bias thing. Just know that when Gabby Moreno is ranked by whoever outlet you look at, I hope you look at ours, when he's ranked the fifth or sixth best catcher in baseball going in next year, you need to understand that's not just a recency bias thing. No, that's who he truly is. He did and it down the stretch. He truly is. Yes. He did it down the stretch, man. He he is truly that guy. And I have the numbers for you right now. By catcher, Moreno caught 104 games. Jose Herrera caught 40. Carson Kelly caught 31. And Sebi Zavala caught six. Jose Herrera, 5.48 ERA. Carson Kelly, 5.01 ERA. Sebi Zavala, 4.86 ERA. Gabriel Moreno, a three nine four. There you go. A run and, better than anybody else. And by far the best at limiting the run game in, in the sport of qualified catchers by like a 10% caught stealing clip. Damn. Damn. He's incredible. Yeah. Alec Thomas, somehow incredible this yeah. postseason. Big wow. fan. Big fan of Alec Thomas. Carroll is here, man. Um, offensively, like he's the guy he's a superstar and he's made that very clear in his first couple of postseason games i thought the big thing in game one was merrill kelly shoving against the team that has dominated him not just this year throughout his entire career merrill kelly has sucked against the la dodgers and he didn't suck at all he was shut out he threw into the seventh inning him doing that before gallon gets the ball against a rookie in game two was huge for Arizona and they are in as good of a position as you possibly can be in LA for game two of the NLDS. And and what's amazing is it all ties back to the decision to start fought game one in the wild card and how that set them up with confidence to, Hey, if we win this thing in two, we got Kelly ready to go game one of the next series or worst case scenario, we got Kelly game three. That was such a confident decision to make. And by doing that, they're able to start Merrill instead of him. Probably would have been Brandon Font in this spot. Who knows what they would have done? And you get the early lead. You blitz Kershaw. Six runs is never enough against the Dodgers when you have the whole game, especially when it's six runs in the first. I'm still not feeling comfortable. Uh, But they kept piling on, which was one side of it. But two, on the other side, Merrill Kelly just kept putting up zeros. And and that really just kind of – it took the the rest of the wind out of their sails. And also, 
rested the bullpen. He only had seven pitches from man to ply. Miguel Castro labored, but that's that's not a guy that you're leaning on as much. He threw no. 27 pitches, whatever. And then Luis Frias, which is crazy, uh, closed that thing out. Uh, so they really didn't have to go to anybody because Kelly bridged the gap by going six and a third. And then the, the lead was so big that they could go to you know, some of the lesser used or lesser leverage used arms. And now they've got the 18 bullpen ready to go to try to step on their necks in game two and shock the world. Did you know that Andrew Saul Frank was going to be part of an 18 bullpen going into this year? No. S-A-A-L Frank. Don't know a thing. Saul Frank. Don't know a single thing about him. Exactly. And here he is just part of the 18 bullpen for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Game two is Zach Gallen against Bobby Miller. Bobby's postseason debut. A lot of responsibility on a youngster. Again. A ton. It's very Grayson Rodriguez. Identical situation against one of the better pitchers in baseball. Montgomery is not Zach Gallen. Um, he's seeing a really hot offense. Guess who else saw a really hot offense? Grayson Rodriguez. Guess who throws 102? Bobby Miller. <sighs> Obviously, the advantage lies in Arizona. But, man, there's, there's just a little birdie saying that the Dodgers – tie this series up going to Arizona because Bobby Miller shoves. It's very possible. And Bobby Miller's faced the D-backs twice this year. One, it was six shutty. Yeah. The second time and the most recent time, which was a couple weeks later, was six innings of four-run ball. Regardless, I think that you know bodes well for, for Miller in the respect that he went six innings twice and, and has been good against him overall. But third time seeing him now. It's a big spot for him. I do think this is a guy that's comfortable in, in any situation from what I've seen. It's going to be fun to watch. My only thing is, can he can he control the adrenaline? Is it going to be 103 yeah, hitting the backstop? Or is he going to lock in and spot up the 98s, 99s, 100s and surprise you with the 101 you know, and get that on you? But he's got to fill up the strike zone. And he has all year long. That's the one thing I'm interested to see. But yeah, I feel like Miller is going to give them a good one here. And again, like we said, it's very Grayson Rodriguez-esque. You got, you know, the season lays in the balance of a 24-year-old who is making his postseason debut. And much like Grayson Rodriguez, it's your best option. It's not like you have somebody else waiting in the wings. Like, this is your option. You got to be okay with this. It worked out for Arizona in game one of the wild card with Fod, like you're saying. Not in spite of thought, really. Yeah. I mean, like the offense, the offense did enough. But Miller, I think, is a different story. Um, and if we were wrong about Grayson, I'm okay being wrong about Bobby, but I think Bobby's gonna throw really well. So I do. That's what we got going on. Peter and, and I back tomorrow to recap game two of the NLDS and preview game three of the ALDS. Every link you need is in our link tree. Um, and in the episode description. What else? Anything? I'm excited for these series to keep churning along. And we'll be uh, we'll be doing these right around the evening time, as close to the end of the final game all week long and all postseason long. So uh, enjoying the uh, the coverage this way. And, and I th- hope people are having a blast with the postseason so far. We're just getting started. It's 11.15. Good night, Arm. Good night, buddy. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.